You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. This is the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The word of the Lord. So last week we talked about how when the love of God washes over our life, when the love of God washes over the part of our life that is in joint, when the love of God washes over the part of our life that is fertile, the part of our life that is working well, the part of our life where we're getting it right, quote unquote, when his love washes over the part of our life that's walking with him, talking with him, yielding to him, when his love washes over that part of our life, it feels like a sense of belonging, a sense of affirmation, a sense of comfort, a sense that God is well-pleased with who we are. When the love of God washes over the parts of our life that are not in joint, that are popped out of place, when the love of God washes over the part of our life that is not yielded to him, that's indulged in itself, that is preoccupied with our own preoccupations, that, that is the part of us that is over against the people in our home, the people we work with, the people that we're, we're called and responsible for. When the love of God washes over the part of our life that is egotistical and self-centered, it feels like fire. Same love in both instances. When his love washes over the part of you that is getting it, you feel that warm sense of embrace. When that same love, same love, washes over the part of us that isn't facing Jesus, it feels like fire. Same love, two different feelings. Because on the one hand, he's holding in place what is right. And on the other hand, his love is taking what's off in us and bringing it through the crucible so that it can be purified and made whole. And so we ended last week's sermon by saying, in general, like not just this church, not just any one individual, but in general, this is a disorienting time for the Christian faith. This is a disorienting time for the church. This is a season where churches don't look the way they used to. The vibe doesn't feel the way it used to. The passion in so many of our personal lives doesn't feel like it's what it once was. I was joking with somebody, but I, I do actually mean this, that if you're functioning at 70% of yourself right now, you're like in the wealthiest 1%. 
If, you're, if you can make it to being 70% of your best, you're doing really, really well right now. Because the time that we're in is just, it's got a low ceiling, it's got a squeeze to it, it's got a weight to it, it's got a darkness to it, that just, it makes it difficult to just get up and do the basic things that like when you're on and you're passionate and you're feeling it, man, you leap out of bed, you don't care if the sun's not up yet, you, you're waking the sun up for it. And then there's times where it's like, let's just get those room darkening shades, please. The sun is obnoxious. Right? Like, I don't have trouble getting here because I have to be. But there was a time where I would just, I'd be here and it was easy to be here amped. And now it's really difficult to be here amped and easy to be here and be like, well, at least I'm here. It just feels like it's difficult these days to get to a level of passion and very easy to be knocked off of it. Very difficult to stay faithful and committed, and it's very easy to be offered just a couple little things and say yes to them and then realize that you've walked away from the center of what has held your life together for so long. And so in those moments, the love of God can feel like fire because he's purifying the part of us that needs refinement and he's holding and embracing the part of us that is already made it there. And he's inviting us into this ever-present life of discipleship with him. Jesus, we'll read it in a moment. Jesus says something to the disciples that make them say, Lord, increase our faith. They didn't just say it. The lectionary text for today started in verse 5, and it often annoys me when it does that. Like, if you're going to start in verse 5, can you just start in verse 1? Because I'm going to read it anyway. And because they start with, increase our faith. And if you're reading it, you're saying, why are they saying increase our faith? Why? Because the why matters. What did Jesus just say that made them say, okay, please increase our faith? And here's what Jesus says first. This is Luke 17, 1 to 4. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations, it's like, oh, now I see why they said increase our faith. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. These are some of my favorite things that Jesus ever said. Pay attention to yourself. Pause. We pay attention to everybody else but ourselves. Have you met somebody who does not know anything about their own self, but they know everything about everybody else? They can't tell you, they can't be self-aware about the egg they got on their own face but they know what everybody else has on. Do I, am I the only one who works with these people? <laughs> Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. We get that part right. If he repents, forgive him. Eh. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Lord, increase our faith. 
makes so much more sense now. Jesus is saying, everyone's going to be tempted, but don't you live the kind of life that makes somebody else tempted. And people are going to sin against you. Rebuke them. And they're like, cool, we got that. But rebuke them in such a way where they know that they could come to you a hundred times in a row and say sorry. Don't rebuke them in such a way that makes them feel like they can never approach you again. Oh. Lord, increase our faith. I could rebuke Aldo in a way that would let Aldo know he was wrong, but also let Aldo know, don't ever come near me with that again. That's the kind of rebuke that Jesus does not want us utilizing. Remember when Peter sunk in the water and Jesus rebuked him for his little faith? What did Jesus also do when he was rebuking Peter? There's a secular rebuke that is a push away. Don't ever come near me with that noise again. There's a holy rebuke that actually invites a person deeper into your life and lets them know that even if they fall seven more times, that you'll pull them up out of the water all seven of those times. That's the kind of rebuke that Jesus is looking for. He rebukes us in a way that gets us closer to him. He rebukes us in a way that drives what caused me to sin out so that I'm closer to him. He never rebukes me in a way where I'm driven away from him. He only ever rebukes us in a way where the thing that's pushing us from him is driven away from him. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But a disciple says, if that's the way we're supposed to love, then increase my faith. Because, Rob, I just don't have it like that. I know you don't. I don't either. And I'm supposed to help you. And I'm like, increase my faith so I can help Rob increase his faith. He says, don't live a life where these little ones can be harmed by you. What little ones is he talking about? Well, in some gospels, he's talking about children. In this gospel, he's talking about the ones at the bottom of all the parables he just told. Don't live in such a way where the woman who lost her only penny feels threatened in your presence. Don't live in such a way where those under the thumb of a rich man feel threatened in your presence. Don't live in such a way where when you go to hell, you're still telling the poor people what to do. Go get me a drink. That's when Jesus says these little ones, he's talking about the parables he just told. Live in a way where the poorest and most fragile among you can stand in your presence and not be pressed down and not fear being broken. Lord, increase our faith. Live in a way, as, as uh, one of my good friends, Father J.P. Robles said, when we preach our sermons, we know we preach the truth if the poorest in the room agree with us. You know you're living the way you're supposed to be lived if the weakest and the poorest around you feel safe around you. If the most wealthy or the most influential people in your life agree with you and the poorest among you can't even hear what you're saying, you are not living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live and preach and testify and reach out in such a way where the poorest among you say that's the truth. 
Lord, increase our faith. How do I do this? I don't know that I have it in me to survive tomorrow. I don't know if I have it in me, you ready, Salem, to not actually rebuke the poor that I am. To not actually rebuke my own self and think that I'm disqualified from living the life that you just called me to live. Some of the most harmful people that we know are people who can't even buy into the fact that Jesus has bought into them. When we are at our most destructful, it's when we think, it's when we don't believe that Jesus can increase our faith so that we can be salt and light in somebody else's life because I'm having trouble having salt and light in my own. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus responds to the question, increase our faith, by saying something and then preaching a quick sermon off of what he said. And he said, they say, Lord, increase our faith. And he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And the mulberry tree inexplicably would obey you even though it would probably die in the sea. This isn't my field, but I'm assuming it likes where it's planted, Courtney, and if I threw it into the ocean, it would be like, why? Well, because, you know, often we take faith. Well, don't you dare try to get me to go on a rabbit trail. I see what you just did. Don't do that. Don't try to cause me to sin. You'll have a millstone around your neck. More faith. He's telling us right off the bat, it's the wrong question. Increase our faith. You have something in you that is worth being planted, is what Jesus says. I don't have enough. You have something in you that is so insignificant to you, so useless to you, so less than to you, so not good enough to you. And I'm saying that thing in you, if you plant it in my soil, as he says in Matthew, it'll grow into one of the largest of the plants and all the birds of the air will come and make nests in its branches. They're saying increase our faith and he's saying you already have in you what you think is small and insignificant and not worthy of the kingdom of God. If you would just plant that and then he qualifies, he qualifies it by saying, all right, we'll say it this way. If you, you know, some of you, you guys have servants and now they're like, yeah, 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 we have servants. Yeah, that's right. He's like, and when your servants come in from the field You don't feed them. You wait for them to feed you. And they're like, you're right, because we got it like that. We got people to do stuff for us. And he's like, and then after they feed you, then you don't commend them for doing what they were supposed to do. They did what they were supposed to do. You don't compliment them for it. And they're like, you're right. Because we're living that kind of life. Because we worked really hard. Because we got promoted. And now we got people who work in the field, cook us food, feed us the food. And then when they do something right, we don't even have to compliment them. And what does Jesus say next? You become those servants. And that's what mustard seed faith looks like. He flipped 
everything upside down so fast, the whiplash spun their head around like the chick from The Exorcist, and they didn't even know what had happened. Look what Jesus does, masterful in such a short amount of time. Increase our faith. Right away, the egoism is oozing out of them. Give us more faith so we could be more powerful, so we could do more things. And Jesus is like, he leans in to the egoism. He's like, yo, man, listen, I got faith for you that if you had it, you could say to that tree, be uprooted and thrown into the ocean. And they're like, yes, that's the kind of faith we want. Name it and claim it. Speak to things that are not as though they are. Start tithing on the money I want to make. I wish somebody didn't just say woo. All this stuff that we said, I'm sorry, you told me not to wander too far from the pulpit because of the camera. You liked it better when my foot was hurt. That's what you said. I love you too. I'll try to stay within the edges the best I can. We like to say things like, give us more faith so that I can declare ahead of time what God is going to do. Listen, I hate to say this, but that borders on witchcraft. What does Jesus say that mustard seed faith is? Not serving, becoming a servant. Again, like last week, that doesn't sell cassettes. No one buys the record of that sermon. The transcript of it. If you have faith the side of a mustard seed, you can tell that tree to be tossed over there. I think in, 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 the, in the triumphal entry, he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and he looks at Mount Jerusalem and says, you could say to that mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it will. And what does that do? That boosts our ego. Like, I want the kind of faith that can start to, like, be super impressive and, like, move nature around. Do you know how many people from this point on in the 2,000-plus year history of the church ever uprooted a mulberry tree? You know how many times Jerusalem got thrown into the sea? Besides me, when I, was, when I got saved and I was in my swimming pool, do you know how many people actually tried to walk on water? You've all tried it. Don't even act like it. Nobody. Because of what Jesus does next. He boosts their ego a little bit. He's like, I'll give you faith where you could just start tossing nature. You could just uproot everything I planted. And when they probably got excited about it, Jesus was probably like, why? I, it took me forever to make that mulberry. Do you know how awesome that mulberry tree is? I tell you for one second, you could uproot it. And you're like, yes, give us that faith. Why? It's nice right where it is. This is, the, this is the God who wouldn't turn a stone into bread because he doesn't want to violate stones. He likes them just the way they are. They don't have to be something else. Then he says... Because if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can have a life where you have servants. And those servants will cook you food. And you don't even need to compliment them. And they're like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is it. And right when they're all amped, he's like, no. That was a test. And you failed. You're supposed to be those servants. 
You're supposed to be the mulberry tree that I would never rip out of the ground ever, but I would prune its branches so that it starts to produce fruit. You see what Jesus does? He reimagines what we think faith even is. We think faith is the gift of God to be saved and then to live a life that some, for some reason we say things like, let's live a life so that other people can be jealous of what we have so that they can come to Jesus for materialistic reasons. What are we thinking? He says, this is mustard seed faith, that you become the servants that you've called worthless the whole time. Jesus, this was rather disappointing. But that is mustard seed faith. What is activated in us, preachers will scream today about how you have an anointing in you to activate your blessings that you don't even have yet. They will be going up and down, running around on their pole. Everybody will be freaking out and screaming because we all love that message. And all the while, Jesus is standing there saying, I've given you faith to become the person who's at the bottom of that economy. And just so you know, he had like 500 people following him. And 12 kept following him. His metrics were terrible. People just leave him. 500 people saw him raised, and only 120 came to church when they were supposed to. Because he says stuff like this. Go to the places that will tell you that because of faith you can live the, the oh my God, I almost said some stuff. You can live the middle suburban life if you'd like to. You have all the first world things. They'll tell you you can have it. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you want to be healthy? You want faith? What I've given you to plant is the service to the person that cannot serve you. And that's the beginning of the kingdom of God. Woo! This is dope. Right here. Well, you're just hearing this now. I had to sit with this all week. It was terrible. I don't want to say this. This isn't going to be exciting. All week. But sometimes the truth isn't exciting. It's healing. It's life-giving. But some of us, we don't want to be alive. We want to be numbed by stuff so that we don't have to pay attention to ourselves. Being faithful. Three things. Being faithful. One, it's a gift to be planted. Faith is a gift to be planted. Do you know, I mean, I was thinking about this. I was here at like 5.15 this morning, and I was delirious for like 45 minutes. It's just way too early. And also, this, room, this building makes so much noise at night. And has anybody seen the coming attractions to smile? I was scared to death. 
I ran through the foyer. If there was cameras, you'd see me book it to my office. Like, I don't want to look into here and see somebody, like, standing right there or something weird. I don't know. These are just my own confessions. Whatever. Don't judge me. Don't judge me at all. What was I even saying? Oh, yes. I was thinking about all of the times I heard a youth pastor or a pastor or an associate pastor or just that person in the church that always thinks that, like, you're their job, like, you're their congregation and they're just going to preach at you all the time. I remember people saying to me all my life, you know, I, I, ha- I keep this bag of mustard seeds in my pocket. And every time I start to feel like... I just don't have enough faith. I pull out the mustard seeds, and I say to myself, I just, just need a little bit of faith. And I, re- I, know, I know somebody who might see this, and I am making fun of you, say, I had, a, I had a little vial on my desk, and inside of it was a mustard seed. Until, like, my grandkids came and knocked it over, and I can't find the mustard seed anymore, which I think is the grace of God. Because there's nothing dumber than seeds in your pocket. That's not where they go. Having a mustard seed on my desk is the problem. It's what Jesus is saying is the issue. Don't take them out of your pocket. Get yourself a little shovel and a little can of water and put them in the ground and take care of it. That's where they go. They're not artifacts. They're seeds. But so many of us walk around with the stuff that we should be planting We have it on our shelf. We think about it. We know it. We know it's right, but we don't plant it. Faith is a gift to be planted, and the soil that you plant it in is the person next to you. Our faith, Jesus directly equates with serving. And not just serving, being a servant. There's a difference there. Because if I see myself as somebody called to serve but not a servant, what I'm saying is I'm making a transaction with God. I will serve so long as it brings me the blessings that I was told faith brings. That's being transactional with God. He doesn't want us to serve. He wants us to be servants. Not serve until the blessing comes or serve so that the blessing comes, but serve because becoming a servant is the blessing of God. Serving is an end in and of itself. And if you want something out of your serving, it should be the benefit that is given to the person you served, not to you. We need to start saying that the blessing I get is when your life gets better because I'm serving you. And someone's like, well, what? The servant's life's not supposed to get better? It is because you should be serving me in a way where you say, I don't care about the benefit it gives me. I care about the benefit it gives Bill. And if we're doing that, everybody's not thinking of themselves. They're thinking of the other because they also know someone's thinking about them. That's the economy of heaven. That's how it works. It's a gift to be planted it's servanthood and not service. I won't preach that a second time. I just did, and I got hot. Started sweating. And third, you ready? It's cared for by God. Your service, your faith is a seed. And we're scared to plant it these days. Because when we commit to service, 
we wonder if we'll have the time, the energy, the ability, the bandwidth, I've noticed, I'll speak directly to this church, I've noticed a theme that kind of is bubbling up as I talk to department leaders, where to truncate it, it's a lot of people saying, I don't want to sign up to be in the ministry, but if you need me for an emergency, I want to be the first person you call. So I say to the department leaders, cool, just tell them there's an emergency every four weeks. And you'll be good. But here's the thing. This is not bad. But there's something in the season we're in that makes putting ourselves out there for an extended period of time, there's something very frightening about it right now. And I'm not criticizing. I feel it too. I feel it too. And so we feel comfortable saying, I'll be there if there's an emergency. Or other times I've heard, you know, I don't know if I feel called to that. There's probably other people in the room who are. I'll wait to see if they do. If everybody says that, Houston, we have a problem. I'm sure it's the same way outside the church. I've, I know people who run their own businesses, who work at jobs. There's turnover. There's people not showing up. There's, this, there's, there's a pressure when it comes to offering ourselves. And what we have to know is our offering of ourselves to others is cared for by God. He's not just the good shepherd. He's the good gardener. He takes care of the plants he put in the ground. And he will take care of you. And I've said this, I said this five years ago, and I'm going to say it again. He will take care of you this one way. He will always give you the ability to do the next thing you committed to. He won't let you see the ability you have for 40 things down the road. That's where anxiety comes from. When we look at this jar of oil that he said, fill up this jar and go sell it. And then pour the jar into the next vessel and go sell it. And pour it into the next vessel. And you're like, well, in order for me to pay my bills, this is the story of Elisha and the widow. In order for me to pay my bills, i got to fill up like 75 jars and sell them. And if that widow looked at the 57th jar, she'd say, this does not have enough to fill up all those. You're right, but it has enough to fill up the next one. And it will always have enough to fill up the next one. 65 times it will have enough to fill up the next one, but it will never have enough to fill up two down the road. This is why he says, give us this day our... This is why he told the Israelites, go out each morning to get the manna, but don't store any because there's a rhythm where God wants us to experience the care he has for us by emptying out and getting filled, and emptying out, and getting filled. And as we're emptying out, and it's starting to get down to E, and the light turns on, we start to get nervous. Should I keep driving? Yes. Because faith is a gift to be planted. It's about becoming a servant, not just serving. And it's all couched in the idea that God cares for this. He will always take care of the plant. Adam and Eve 
were, they were told, you will have dominion over creation. And I'm sure some of us, we've heard sermons on dominion many, many times. And like two of them were good. Because dominion was all about being able to take authority of blessing and bring it into my life. But that's not what they had dominion for in the Garden of Eden. They had dominion to work and to keep the ground. Which in the Hebrew means to serve and to protect. Dominion is defined in the Bible by serving and protecting. Jesus, his authority is in a towel and a cross. Not in a sword and a throne. Jesus would have lost Game of Thrones. He would have been the first one out. Because he doesn't fight like that. A few, uh, uh, last week was the feast of Michael the Archangel. And all of the icons from the history of the church, the oldest ones show uh, the, the, the Archangel fighting with, with, a, with a sword, with, with a sheath that doesn't have a sword in it. He's walking around with the holster, but no gun. The newer paintings, he looks like Sergeant Slaughter from G.I. Joe. But the oldest ones, like the ghost of Christmas present, to continue from last week, Scrooge says, why do you have the holster, but no sword? And he goes, huh? I didn't even know it wasn't there. Because we don't, we don't take dominion that way. We take dominion by serving. Like the ghost of Christmas. Here's, here, I, I don't know. I don't have that kind of power, Scrooge. But here, take my robe. And let me show you what's really happening in your life. That's the kind of dominion we have. To serve. It says the mulberry tree will obey you. Why will it obey? Because if you're serving it, it'll trust you. You've heard me say this before. If we're spending our life trying to take authority, you only take what you don't have. Authority is something that should be given to you because the person who gives it to you knows that you're there to serve them. Not command them. Serve them. Then you'll win a different kind of influence in somebody's life. When dominion is bringing healing, not colonizing. When dominion is bringing life, not taking it. When dominion is offering, not continuing to get promoted so that we keep receiving then Jesus will come. Because then he'll see the kingdom of heaven. Locked up in us is a tiny seed of service that when we plant it in the ground, it will be scary. We will wonder if we could follow through. We will be cared for by God. And we will see major changes in the virtues of the people around us. But Jesus will always tell it to us in a way that breaks the enchantment of materialism. Because we can't see the kingdom's blessings through 
the materialistic fading away blessings that we all really ultimately want. So Jesus tells the parable in a way where he says, oh, if you have faith, you'll be able to do spectacular things and you'll have servants and you'll have lands and you'll have cars. And oh, by the way, just kidding. Once he's got everybody amening him, he's like, none of you who amen me are right. It's when you go all the way to the bottom and say, we're the servant. That's the beginning of mustard seed faith. And then Jesus is like, so who's coming with me? It's like in Jerry Maguire when no one went with Tom Cruise. When he quit, I'm quitting my job. I'm starting my own agency. Who's coming with me? And then nobody leaves. And he's like, gosh, I wish I didn't say that out loud. Jesus just keeps going. He's the first one to say, though none go with me. I'm going to close with this prayer from the New Zealand prayer book. You have it, E? It says this. We pray to you, Jesus, that you would take the old water, our busy, diligent lives, and turn them into gospel wine. You ready? That everyone may see your life and thirst. There's never been a prosperity message where they said, let's make the world jealous by showing them how thirsty and hungry we are. But look at what this prayer says. That everyone in us might see your life and your thirst. What does that mean? Why would they say that? Because the part of us that feels the strain of serving the part of us that's afraid to commit, the part of us that feels like my life would be so good if I was down there with those children, if I was part of what was building them up, if I was opening doors for people on Sundays, if I was showing up at 9.15 in the morning to pray, if I was going to the Christmas gala, if I was going to Bowdoin Park, like you, you know deep down my life, would be, my life would be fruitful if that was the case, but there's a strain there because I'm so busy and so bogged down and I just don't know which way's up these days. I'm afraid to commit. But I just know if I could just get past this one thing. But the reality is, when serving shows the life that blesses people, but when serving shows the thirst, it also blesses people. When they see you tired and thirsty, but like Jesus, still bearing your cross. What did he say? I thirst. Did he come down to get a drink? They mocked him by giving him spit, sour wine. You know why they gave him sour wine? Because at the beginning of John's gospel, he gave them all the sweet wine already. So all that was left was sour wine. Because that's the kind of servant he is. We hear, I thirst, and we're motivated by him when we hear it on Good Friday. I thirst, and we say, even when he was thirsty, he still hung there for me. Even when his mouth was dry. And then we say clever things like, imagine the woman at the well who was, who was told by Jesus, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Imagine her standing at the foot of the cross and hearing Jesus say, I thirst. What must she have been wanting to do for him? 
We're motivated by the phrase, I thirst. You want to know why we're motivated by it? Because it didn't stop his service. He kept serving through the thirst. And so they pray that everyone may see your life and thirst in us. Salem, we're in a thirsty time. There's a drought for passion. There's a drought for excitement. There's a drought for emotional health right now. The church is thirsty. Let's keep serving. It will motivate. And he will take care of the plant. He will take care of the plant. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's just close our eyes as we get ready to come to the Lord's table. Just close your eyes. And just open up yourself before the Lord for a moment. Just think about where you want to be in your serving. And where you may be in it. And then instead of accepting that, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come into our life and give us the passion of the Christ. Even if it's a Lenten season that we're in, even if it feels like we're always going to the cross right now, always in the wilderness, God, I'd like a promised land season, please. But it's this moment where we want the spirit of Christ to fill us, the, the spirit that brought Jesus through thirst so that he could become living water for all of us. And he wants to bring you through thirst so that you could become part of that cascading font of living water. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed where everything you planted seemed like it was planted in just dry and arid ground. That you took bread and you looked at it and you gave thanks and you said, this is my body given to you. You served even on the night when we weren't even repenting, we were just denying you, just betraying you, just running away from you, hadn't said sorry yet, and you offered us the bread and the wine of forgiveness already before we could even ask. Father God, I'm starting to think that the only reason I can ask for forgiveness is because you've already given it to me. If you hadn't, I don't know that it would even come into my heart to know to ask for it. And you gave thanks and you said, this is my body which is broken for you. And after supper, you took the cup of wine and you held it up and you gave thanks and said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins as often as you come to this table and drink of it. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And you served us with your body. He said, sacrifices and offerings I have not desired, a body you have prepared. 
because you didn't give us rituals. You gave us your life. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And as we receive this service of your body, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on us and forgive us for giving up a little too quickly. Forgive us for anticipating what might happen and then getting stuck in paralysis. Forgive us for thinking about how we may feel in the future and having those thoughts not be animated by your spirit and the cross and the empty tomb. Help us to reimagine serving. Reimagine being part of the body of Christ. Reimagine being part of a group of people called the church. In a way that says, like Pastor Steve said today, oh my goodness, like Steve said today, even when we're down, someone's going to bear me up. Descend on us, forgive us of our sins, and make us for the world what we are called, the church, the body of Christ. That they may feed on our love, that they may feed on our service, because it's you sharing your life through us to them. We thank you for this. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. I'm going to ask Elder Ron and Elder George if they would come. And Elder George will stand on this side and Elder Ron will stand on this side. Come to the Lord's table. Receive his service in a way that makes us go home and say, how can I go from not serving at all to wanting to serve to becoming a servant. Continue to worship with us this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.